Podcast 45, Water Harvesting, Ponds, and Alternative Energy. Sponsored by my buddies at PantryParatus.com. They sell food preservation tools. Produce, prepare, preserve your own harvest. All right, so what did we just watch? What was the thing we just watched? Jeff Lawton's Water Harvesting. Okay, which had a lot of this in it. The water. Yeah. So. Nice sound effects. Yeah, that was my sound effect. Um, I, I made that by making spitty noises in my mouth. That, that's where those sound effects come from. So, uh, yeah, thanks, thanks. It's, uh, it took years to, to develop that skill. Um, <clears throat> so I, I thought that the, the, the movie, oh, I guess, you know, we should do some, some introductions. So uh, uh, I, I'm Paul. I'm Caleb. And Krista. So uh, uh, and we did a podcast not that long ago. Yeah, we've been here before. Yeah. So uh, um, anyway, so we watched we watched the video, um, and we've been. I've, how long have I been here today so far? Like six hours. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, and I got a an awesome meal. So uh, that was venison that we ate. Yes, it was. Uh, that that was like the, some, that was probably the best tasting venison I've ever had. All right, come back because it did not taste gamey at all. In fact, I was sure it was steak, like <laughs> beef steak, like really good beef steak. Until until you said no, that's that's venison. That was a bad beef steak. <laughs> I, I but thought a good it was, venison steak. I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was a bit like a London broil uh, ah, cut. Okay, is what I was thinking, like, oh, this is a fancy cut of steak. This is uh, so. I I was thinking it was it was pretty good. All right, so uh, on on with the show. <clears throat> um, uh, we we watched Jeff Lawton uh, basically lay out a pond and build a pond, and uh, and watch somebody driving a track hoe get paid obscenely more than they should have ever gotten paid for building a pond. I imagine that the Traco driver in this video was like, I love building ponds for these guys because they they want me to sit there and meticulously make everything perfect so that way uh, I can get, and I get paid by the hour. So this is awesome. Um, <clears throat> uh, I now we've also been looking at your property where uh you went and dug a hole and and you have told me many times that where you live is a gravel pit like literally uh it was yeah. was it was a gravel pit so uh they they what they run out of gravel i I think actually I'm starting to think maybe that's how it was so they only dug down three feet with and then it hit pretty much solid clay oh so I'm guessing maybe they, they actually very well could have. Started to run out of gravel and abandoned it. Because because while your your dirt is more like dirt than soil for the most part, from what I've seen, um, uh, it it's like not bad dirt. I mean, I'm thinking it's got a fair bit of clay and a fair bit of sand. It's like it it has potential. I mean, some people have like sand and gravel and rocks, and that's it. But it's like there's been a few spots where you've dug down, and it's like uh, it, you can go down and down and down some more, and it's still this mix of clay and sand. And it's like you can work with that. There's, you know, you can do stuff. 
So I, I think right. you're in pretty good shape. And, and we went and we looked at the hole you dug, which filled in with water, and uh, it's about three feet from the surface, two feet, maybe two and a half feet from, from the surface. So it's not like it's filled all uh, the way. Yeah, I would say it's probably down a little bit more than that. And this is, this is after a week. And this is in a totally dry area of landscape. I mean, you look at the top of it, and it's like, wow, this is, it's dry. It's right not, now, we're it's in the... It's not wet, it's, there's no moisture, but there's cottonwoods growing there, so always... Cottonwoods are fine. That, hey, there might be water here. And actually, once years ago, I was, uh, I had the backhoe in there and sunk fairly deep in the spring, and I thought, ah, I wonder. Wet spot. So... Let's fine. Let's dig a hole and see what's there, and the hole started filling with water. So we're also in the dry time of year too. I mean, oh yeah, we're like mid July right now. Yeah, right. And it's, it was a hot day, hot-ish. It's been it a hot couple something. of weeks. Yeah, it's been in the nineties the last couple of weeks, really. quite a few days. And and we are technically in mountain desert. So uh, this whole area is mountain desert. Uh, we get uh, uh, annual rain. Our average annual rainfall is thirty. 13.9 inches. So so we get barely enough to be able to, to have some trees. So when you look around, there's some spots, like usually the lee side of the mountain will have trees, and the windward side will be bare of trees. So And then the gullies will, will often have trees, and a lot of the uh, the other mountains won't. So, um, but... All right, so yeah, Cottonwoods, big indicator of uh, moist soils. And then we watched the movie, which you've seen many times. <laughs> and, and just as you're grooving on stuff, I'm bitching about things. Improving. Yeah, am I improving? Okay, good. Well, right. that's, that's more of a glass half full sort of thing. Is it? Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> good job. Pointing out good other. Good job. You know, from an engineer's perspective, that glass is actually two times too big. <laughs> stop, stop using such big glasses and then your glass will be all the way full there we go there you go but I think that's why we were so excited that you came here because you're given this beginner information and while we still may be beginners we need somebody to help us take it to the next level why wouldn't this work how could this work better how could this work faster how can we apply this here because it's one thing to watch a movie and it's another thing to do it well that's it's true although I think you know for the projects you guys are doing I, I think you're doing good and I think I think that uh, it's not that you need new advice I, I think you just need you know to do it more years yeah uh, <laughs> I, no I, I think you guys have got the enthusiasm and, and you're making the lists and we talked earlier over dinner uh, about uh, lists versus maps and I, I think uh, I'm, I'm an advocate of the list over the map and uh, uh, I, and you guys were already well on your way there I, I don't I, I doubt there's very much that I can add you guys are on a path I think when people call in guys like me or uh, you know the Bullock Brothers or whatever to come and or, or Sep Holter to come sepify their land is because you know they, they haven't really studied permaculture and uh, they know they want it but they you know don't want to take the time to really learn it they just kind of want it to happen and which is a legit thing I'd but, like that too <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's good to want things want away <laughs> and, and, and then uh, in the meantime you guys have had so much enthusiasm about the topic that you're you're really ramping up on all this stuff. So um, uh, I I think you're doing I think you're doing fine. It's just it's just going to be you know 
time. Years. Wasn't that Maddie Harlan was talking about her husband and when he learned about permaculture and it was a, an addiction? I think that was on one of your podcasts. All yeah. And he was like obsessed. I would say that's pretty much where I've been for sure. Well, I, for every night for the last year, <laughs> whatever, it's like it's kind of an obsession. So well, now it's time to put it into practice. Well, now that was an interesting thing that you told me earlier. Is that because like I've been kind of thinking, you know, these podcasts. I, it, it seems like something that that you know I, I'm having a hard time convincing myself to keep doing it. And then every once in a while, somebody will say something, and I'll make a few more. And then I'll be like, you know, I should stop doing this. And that, so then today you were saying that there's actually like ten different permaculture podcasts. I didn't know that. I thought, I, in fact, for a while there, I thought this was the only permaculture podcast. And then I went and I Googled it and I found out that there was at least two others, but they were like not my style at all. <laughs> there's, a, there's a gum on the end of a stick. And you were saying that there's like 10. Yeah, if you search permaculture on iTunes, I think there's about 10 that come up. And it, a lot of it's like one episode or something that had permaculture in the title or something. So it's not. Oh, okay. But, it, but they're, they're garden related or whatever. And, but they're all just talking about how awesome permaculture is, but they don't necessarily know much about it. Yeah, I, I tried listening to the beginning of a couple of them and stuff because I really, I'm not a, perma, I'm not a podcast consumer. Um, and so I really have a hard time imagining anybody having value in this because I don't go out and consume podcasts myself. So uh, although YouTube videos, I look at tons of YouTube videos. Yeah. And uh, uh, so I can see doing that. But um, uh, the ones that I listened to did seem to be like they were just getting started or I don't know they didn't they, they, they seem to be yeah I don't know but but they and they also did a much better job of putting it together and making it sound fancy and I don't do anything like that you have sound effects no though that's right that's right I got the water sound effect uh, uh, sometimes I try to sing a little bit uh, <laughs> it was only once maybe I was okay <laughs> <laughs> uh, and there was a podcast that went out uh, yesterday where I talked about how I was asked to sing, and and then I and so then I did, and I was picking a path that I thought that they would ask me not to sing anymore, and it turns out I was mistaken. They, You're getting many requests. So I came up with the Oscar Mayer Wiener song, uh, and you know I, I also did the Beverly Hillbilly theme music. Really? Uh, but I think I started with Up Against the Wall Redneck Mother. Yeah. So, uh, but the key was to try and sing it off key. Oh. So, or actually, don't don't even limit yourself to being off key. Set a new pace, you know, <laughs> and change it up. <laughs> so that's that's how you make real music. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, we're wandering off topic a little bit. We need Jocelyn here to say stop talking about that because really we're supposed to be talking about ponds and stuff. Yeah. And how annoyed I was with. Well, actually, you know what? I thought there was a lot of good information in that, and there were things in there that I would definitely do differently. And and if I'm going to make it, and, and so when they. The, the the style of pond that they made was not a bowl-based pond. They went with a key-based pond. And uh, and this is where the, the thing that, that keeps all the water in is all in how you design the dam. 
and then the rest of the bowl is on its own. Good luck, bowl! Uh, and, and so you're going to assume that water is not going to go down through the groundwater and out. But now they had a lot of clay in their soil. Yeah. So, you know, it's like... 90%. We've got a caller. <laughs> they're they're, they're, they're going to be they're going to be hard pressed to have that go wrong. Uh, no matter what they do, I mean, they put a scratch in the surface. They basically have like a little mud puddle, you know. So uh, um, they're very fortunate. Um, so uh, with with a, with a clay soil, um, uh, however, when building a dam. There's there's one thing that that I thought was very important that they did not do, and so I'd be really curious to see how well that dam holds up for five years. Okay. I, I would even be curious to see how well it does over the first wet season, because they put a flat top on it, and and I think that with a dam you need to put what's called a crown on it, and that's where you put a rounded top, and the idea is is that it, is that when the water lands anywhere like when rain lands on the dam you want the water to run off of the dam um, because if, if water starts to stick to the dam like it makes a mud puddle on top of the dam it's a it's a, a point where it starts to turn the whole dam into jello and then once it gets to the point where the that clay is turned into something like jello then it wants to go downhill to visit the neighbors and um, um, and that's less than optimal so so I think when they originally were making the dam, they did it flat so he could drive the track hoe on top of it and compact it, right? Um, would you use that method then to compact your dam wall depending on your material and then could you dome over the top after that to avoid the mud puddle jello you're talking about? So um what I would do is that even while building it, because you're going to build it, you're going to like put down a foot of soil and smash down, a foot of soil and smash down, a foot of soil and smash it down. And so um, uh, for that style, what I usually do is I focus very heavily on um, uh, a key in the dam, which is going to be this this bit that's two feet wide going right through the middle of the dam. It's a, it's a, a vertical wall, if you will, built into the middle of the dam. And in this key, that's where I'm going to focus on this needs to be crazy watertight. This is going to be super strong, and I'm going to pack it extra, extra, extra tight. But on top of that, with clay, I mean, with, you know, you'll do, have different strategies with different soils, but with clay, I'm going to want to... Uh, um, with each one foot thick layer, I still want it to be crowned. I still want it to have kind of a bulbous shape on the top. I mean, like, what if I'm making my dam, and while I'm making it, it starts to rain? And I'm not saying that that's going to, like, oh, well, I know it's not going to rain, so, don't, so I'm going to build a different way. No, I, I think you should always build it as if it's going to rain, even if you know it's not. Um, for, for one reason being that, um, you know, weather can change, and another reason being that um, I think that this is still an important part of the structure. Uh, it's, and and they, the, the, when they were working with the soil, that was all very, very dry. But sometimes when you're going out and you're building a dam, it's not really dry. And you might right. need it to dry out with each layer that you put out there. Step Holzer is very emphatic about that step. But, you, you know, I think that even if water got in there, 
then you would want the water to run downhill and get out if you could. Of course, you know, you're trying to make it super-duper sealed. But uh, I think that this shaping helps to add integrity to it as well as it's just helping to um, uh, make make a, a, a shape that's going to just shed water much better. So um, definitely on the top, when you're all done, you need to have that crown. As you're building it, um, you know, you have each layer have a crown just in case the weather turns different or just in case uh, your, your traco breaks down and uh, it can't be repaired for a week. And in the meantime, there's all these deluges of rain, right. um, uh, things of that nature. So uh, uh, with clay especially. Um, so, And then I would say that as, if I was doing a key-based thing, um, I would go and put a tiny bucket on the uh, on the track and where I'm putting the key, I would put the traco bucket on the ground and push down with it so hard that the front of the tracks of the traco would come up. And that's going to help to really pack that. Now, what they were doing is, is that they were just driving the traco back and forth over it. But the treads on that traco were not very significant, and there was a lot of them. And so I'm thinking, that's not packing it down really well. I'd like to see something, because it's like if, if the tracks were like... Thicker tracks, longer tracks, like the, the pieces that stuck out were longer so that they would, like, leave bigger dents in the soil and spread out more. That would pack the soil more as you're driving over it. Whereas now they're kind of gliding over the top of the soil, and it's not packing it as hard. So so in the extras on the DVD, they go through a couple other different ways of compaction, too. And one of them is uh, one of the wheels that go on the end that replace the bucket. Basically, have you seen those before? It's got a bunch of, uh, they're kind of like flattened teeth on it, so they can actually roll it out and compact it. See, he, he does talk about other methods of doing it, but in this particular dam, you know, they, they didn't use anything but the pressure of a 15-ton machine. Okay, I believe they said it was. So not not really that heavy, actually, in considering so the, the weight of track goes. I think the roller is called a colt's foot. Colt's foot? That's, I mean, there's no, okay. so then uh, it's uh, a colt's foot roller is what you'll sometimes use in farming to help compact something okay. um, and, and compact it a bit more. And so sometimes when building a pond, uh, somebody will, will put a, a draggable colt's foot behind a tractor and drag that Ooh. around. Okay. So the other thing is, is that um, uh, one of the designs that they did was that um, uh, where the water drained out of the pond, well, one of the things that really bothered me was um, I wanted him to talk more about, oh, yeah, all summer long, there will be no water running into this pond. So it's effectively a dew pond. It's it's not an active pond with active water. Ooh, is this pie? Mm-hmm. Do, I, do I get a piece of pie? Let me hold this. I'll let you. Oh, I get to dish it up myself? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're going to hold the contraption? All right. <laughs> you, you, you'll drive. Now, so there, the, 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 the input in is up right here. Like there's a little hole. See that little hole? Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't chew into that end. Mmm, <laughs> pie. <laughs> So, yeah, this pond was uh, completely rainwater harvested, water in the pond. There was no uh, spring lines or stream or no other water source, purely purely just rainwater runoff, mainly off of uh, the road and the surrounding uh, hardscape. So, yeah, 
in the summertime, there would be, you know, especially if you want to do fish or keeping the pond clean, there is going to be an issue with uh, getting oxygen in into the water, obviously. So Paul and I have been discussing some options for that a little bit earlier. So then it's kind of like, well, how does this, you know, I, I wish they would have talked about that a little bit in the video. Yeah. Like, all right, come summer, if we just leave this here, um, it's going it, it, to get a little funky, a little festery, a little, little off. Little, little less than optimal, um, and they might say, "And we're going to, um, we're going to. There's certain species of fish we're going to not raise because there's not enough oxygen in here. But of course, there are certain species of fish that are like, you know, totally okay with that kind of muckiness. Um, and, and maybe they're going to do that. Maybe they're going to, they're going to. I, I don't know. I would have liked to have heard more about that." aspect. I know that for myself, I'm very passionate that, that what I want in a pond is I want water running into it um, all the time. I want to keep that water oxygenated. And I, I once had a pond where um, uh, I was told that the water would run year-round, and, uh, and I just moved out of the property, so the first thing I did was I stocked the pond with trout, and then August rolled around, and the creek went underground. And uh, all my trout died. And a heron came along and helped me, uh, you know, get all those nasty trout out of there, uh, which is really kind of that heron. Um, and uh, I immediately set about the job of, like, what I wanted to do is have a, a series of ponds where uh, each pond would keep the water above ground. So that way, um, uh, when I finally got down to that last pond, that even in August I'd have water dribbling in into it so that way it would keep oxygen levels in there. So I I, um, I, I liked how in the movie the um, one of the things that he did on his pond was um, very similar to something that I did but um, what I did was much larger. Um, and so for his um, uh, water output he uh, made a little finger off of the pond that was level with the pond and, um, and so the water would flow down that and then down the hillside. And so I did something like that, only mine was a good 150 feet long. His was like, I don't know, 15 feet long or so? Yeah, they ran out of room on the property. So it basically went to the property boundary. Oh, okay. In this case, that was what they were limited to. So, in mine, <clears throat> um, the design was is that uh, uh, my, the finger on my pond started off at three feet deep and then gradually got down to one feet one foot deep, and then uh, and then the water would go down the the, uh, the hillside, the gentle sloped hillside. Uh, so that way it would not possibly erode the dam. Um, and uh, uh, on top of that, because I had the primary summertime water flow going uh, through a pipe that went through the dam, that that, that finger was really the emergency overflow. Um, and and the, the, the pipe was the, the primary year-round uh, um, water flow. So... Um, all right, well, anyway, then he started painting everything. And it's like, uh, you know, so he's got all these stakes in the ground. He's got like a stake every three feet, two feet, and it's like painting on the ground between the stakes to show where things go. And, I was, and then for his swales, he was like putting stakes down on both sides. And I was kind of thinking... Um, Everything I've ever done with swales, uh, including the finger on the pond, I put stakes on one side. 
And um, and then what I did was is that it's like with the track hoe, you always dig from the uphill side and drop on the downhill side. And, uh, and then you just take up however much space from the uphill side that you need. The end. Whereas um, he had that traco guy in there just super delicately keeping this great, big, enormous bucket barely scraping in between the stakes on either side for this narrow little teeny tiny swale thing. And I was just going to man, that traco driver is going to be there a while. And, uh, and, and so then he had like a dozen people standing around cheering for the traco driver. And I'm kind of thinking, send the track hoe driver home and give all these people a shovel. Uh, you know, I have to admit that the shovel did sound cheaper to me. Yeah, yeah, and faster. They probably would have gotten it done twice as fast. That track hoe driver, he's like moving that bucket so slow and careful to make sure to keep it between those stakes, which for such a massive machine, that was just tiny. Uh, very impressive precision work for the track hoe driver. But you wanted to see the intern sweating a little bit more, not just sitting in the shade. Uh, well, sure, there's that too. And I think the part with the stakes on two sides, maybe at the end, was for that level sill spillway, too, that he switched. That was part of it, I think, is that he wanted that surface to be very precise, to not disturb that. So when the water did run over it, it, it had never been disturbed before, was my understanding. Well, true. Yeah, with, with that sill, it's very important right. to get it to be very, very level. And, and that way, it'll last a lot longer there. And on top of that... During the season when it's not uh, got water going over it, make sure you grow lots and lots of stuff there. So that way, um, less chance of it eroding. Right. So um, he also mentioned something about like, oh, uh, rather than taking all the trees and chopping them down and then burning them, we're going to chip them. Put him through a wood chipper. And I kind of wanted to say, dude, hugel culture, you know, come on. Uh, but uh, maybe he made this, well, anyway, he made, made this movie at a point where he hadn't heard of it yet. Or I, don't, I think I don't it was know. 2003. Okay. Yeah, I want to say. I don't know. It does mention it in there at one point, but hookerculture has been a lot around quite a bit longer than 2003. Well, I yeah, um, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> Jeff Lawton's just now getting the memo on that or something. I don't know. I but they're also in a moister climate too, right? In, at least in that area. I mean, you've talked about hookerculture and on the west coast, not lasting as long, I guess. Right. Right. I. Not sure. You know, I, I just kind of think I'd rather I'd rather that they didn't consider a chipper. I mean, I personally I don't I don't uh, I, I think we can all do awesome stuff without a chipper. <clears throat> so um, uh, normally I I, I, well, I didn't take a whole bunch of notes on the video, so this is just all what I can come up with from memory. Um, uh, overall, I thought it was good, and I and I really like the the part where he shows. Here's why you got to pay attention to this stuff. I mean, here's how a dam fails. You get just a little tiny dribble, and then and so they had a good animation, which kind of shows. Because I think a lot of people don't get it, and and so uh, they showed, you know, little how a little tiny dribble turns into a great big gusher quickly, and I and I thought that was great that that they showed a, showed a, an animation of that. So, all right, what else we got? Okay, here we go. Uh, 
Um, so we have a majority of clay in our soil here, and I just want to bring the video back to the property. Do you think that water harvesting here on our property is going to be enough to hydrate our landscape? I think that you're going to be able to hydrate your landscape without doing any water harvesting at all. I mean, if you think about it, so you've got three and a half acres here. You've already started building Google culture beds. Um, I mean, there's all kinds of, because if you want to start talking about hydrating your landscape, uh, what, are you going to build a dew pond really high up? And, you know, on your highest point and then try and route it all over the place? Um, let's say you didn't build any dew ponds. And all you did was create big gobs of hugel culture all over the place. Do you have enough to hydrate everything? Oh, I think it's definitely going to change, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to add a lot more moisture. Maybe not so much humidity in the air necessarily at all times of the year, but uh, right. definitely in, in microclimates where the hugel culture is, definitely. My big thing with the pond, I just want a place to go swimming when it's 95 degrees out. Or a place for ducks and geese to swim, too. You know, who culture doesn't... Well, if you try swimming in the same place as uh, ducks and geese, have you seen what no. they do to that little pond? <laughs> yeah. Oh, so you have two different places. One for you. Yeah. One for... will be se segregated ponds. Yeah. 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 Segregated by... There you go. Segregate here. Yeah. The ducks and geese get their own pond just for them to poop in. The pooping pond. That's right. Mm -hmm. There you go. Um, I, I, I think it'll be a piece of cake. I mean, um, uh, it, it can all be done with just Google culture, so therefore it can all be easily done. So you're asking the question if it can be done. Oh, absolutely. And, and then you can have bonus water to boot. Um, I, I think that, uh, that you know, the, the thing you'll want to do is you'll want to build lots of great big sponges to hold all the water. Mm -hmm. And then those sponges will slowly dribble into whatever uh, pondish things you got going on. Um, and, uh, um, no, I, 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 think, I think the land has plenty of potential. The only, the only limitation is, is that it's only three and a half acres. Right. And um, uh, so, we, I mean, we talked earlier today about how it might not be good to raise pigs because, um, you, like, you could, but then you'd be importing some feed each okay. year, uh, provided that you raised two. If you raised only one, I think you'd be okay, but then that's kind of like, doesn't seem very nice to the pig. So um, uh, I, I would prefer to be someplace where I could um, uh, also um, uh, raise litters of pigs, you know, because so that way I'll know this pig that I'm eating was born here on, on land that I've been very meticulous about. Right. Um, whereas, you know, three and a half acres is not going to be enough to do that if you're going to be growing all the feed for those animals. So when you're raising pigs and raising litters, do you eat the mature pigs then after that, or are you eating the younger ones? Yeah. <laughs> eat, eat, them, eat them all. What's, what's wrong with that? Uh, I, I think your older pigs are going to end up being a lot more sausage. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, 
um, well, you know, this is Bertha's last batch of piglets. <laughs> so now she's going to be sausage. Uh, in the meantime, you've got your uh, your wiener pigs, uh, which are typically about six weeks old, and then uh, uh, they'll hit butcher weight about five months old, maybe six months old. And um, so really, when you're butchering a pig, uh, they're still, <clears throat> they're kind of like pre-ad. They're, they're not all that old, um, you know, at about 250 pounds, you know, but, but they got to be really big. They, they hit a 1,000 pounds or better. So um, uh, you're, you're butchering them when they're still quite young. Yeah. So that way the meat's a bit more tender and more delicious. Um, but, uh, yeah, did I answer your question? Yes. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> so with this pond that we're talking about here, and it's it, uh, basically this one wouldn't be on the contour of a hill. It's basically uh, on the lowest point of the property is the one we were discussing today. Would uh, you just dig out? The whole then basically fairly steep walls. It's, it's not not super steep, but uh, the fact that it does have quite a lot of clay in it. What would uh, your view be for compaction on that? I mean, go in there with a bucket in there and kind of spread it around, start pushing in there too for some compaction. Or do you think we really have much of an issue there? Once from what you've seen, from what I've seen so far, I wouldn't fool with any compaction at all. I would just dig out the hole. Then the next thing I would do <clears throat> is that I, I think that, you know, since you want to swim in it and stuff, do that natural swimming pools kind of thing, which apparently they have a DVD for that uh, from uh, um, Permaculture Magazine's yep. outfit there. So might want to get might want to get that thing. I watch the trailer like twice a week. <laughs> <laughs> but you'd probably end up having to get up because you don't have water flowing into it. You would need to get a pump, and you're going to have to pump the water up. And you'll have a bunch of reeds and other aquatic plants that the water will run through, which will basically act as your filter. Um, I I would be concerned a little bit about does the water get warm or does it get too warm? Does it? I, I'm not sure. I mean, there's a whole. I've always kind of kept my focus on. I want my water to be cold. Trout need that water to be cold, and um, but I don't know. Maybe you guys want the water to be warm, and what if it gets too warm? And um, I mean, have you ever been swimming in a really cold pool? Yeah. Yeah. Hard to breathe, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'm thinking, you know, uh, and, and I'm not sure. I don't know what the issues would be to have it be warm. Uh, I kept my ponds cold, and people still went swimming in them in the summertime, sticking to the shallower ends. Now, where, uh, like, when I grew the finger, and that's where the the uh, the, so the, the the trout habitat was the deep bowl, and the finger, which was shallow, was the trout food habitat. Um, so then that was also, that water typically was much, much warmer because the water was so shallow. But I would doubt that people would want to go swimming in that with all the trout food <laughs> that, that's out there. All the, the pollywogs and the creepy crawlies and bugs and, and things like that. But, uh, hey, I don't know. Maybe you guys are into that kind of thing. Not sure. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. No, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, uh, um, but anyway, uh, I, I think that, yeah, you can do something, and it could be really awesome cool. But it, you are going to probably want to put a pump, maybe even two pumps. I mean, what happens if you come out there one day and, like, you've been working hard and a couple weeks have gone by, and what's that smell? <laughs> 
oh, the pump must have gone out a couple weeks ago, and we weren't paying close enough attention. Uh, so maybe uh, a plan B. Yeah. Well, I think the redundancy is definitely the, the way to go. And you really can't have too much oxygen, really, in a situation, upon a situation like that, can you? No, I don't. I, it's I can't. not. I mean, it pretty much fills the oxygen capacity. It's not really going to take. I think it gets, like, the dissolved oxygen level gets to something like um, 16% or something like that, and then you can't get it to get any higher. Right. So at that point, you're just essentially wasting energy if you're having to use it, but right. in this case where it's at, it would it would be something solar powered too, and I have the the know how to do that. Yeah, so. you're 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 Mr. Solar. So uh, hey, and as long as we're talking about solar, I, I want to um, and, and and I got you here. So I'm like Solar Junior. Solar <laughs> Junior. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Solar's my father. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I still think that you're going to be qualified to answer this question, and and so this is, uh, in fact, I was re- I was on a podcast. Somebody it was somebody else's podcast, and they were interviewing me, and um, I kind of got the feeling because he mentioned solar, and I said, well, I've got some things where I I kind of think solar isn't as all that everybody else says it is, and and I kind of think he didn't he didn't really like that statement. Was, I, I, I can kind of hear his brain clicking like, you know, I can edit that out later. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, um, anyway, uh, my my position is, and so I'm I'm seeking possible junior validation, I suppose. <laughs> my position is is that a lot of people uh, take up this idea of like uh, I'm going to switch my house to be off grid. I'm going to use solar. So rather than you know uh, spending uh, however much per month or per yeah per year I spend on electricity. I'm going to drop 20 grand on a solar system, and I'll use strictly solar, and it'll have a return on investment in uh, 15 years. So I'll get my $20,000 back. But um, the part that they leave out of the equation is that suddenly, as part of the transition from being on-grid to being off-grid, one of the things that they did is is they cut their energy usage generally by a factor of 5 to 10. And so it's like, but they... What they did not figure out is that if they just cut their electricity usage by a factor of 5 or 10 and stayed on the grid, then they would have actually saved far more money. All right, so that's my theory. Now you can tell me if it has any merit. I think I think if you are in an on-grid situation now, I don't really think it makes any sense to go off-grid. Uh, we'll start out there, basically. I don't think it makes Monetary any sense. sense. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense to go, oh, I'm going to go cut the ties. I mean, the amount of batteries that it really takes, you know, realistically. I think there's a place to have a backup system, absolutely. You know, if, if the grid power does go down, I don't want to have a $20,000 solar system that's like, oh, well, the grid's down, so now it doesn't work for me. So I think there's a there's a place for having a backup system, but grid-tied solar where it's backfeeding all the surplus energy onto the grid is a much more efficient place to store solar-produced uh, electricity rather than putting it into a battery and taking it out. There's a lot of efficiency losses there. Um, as far as using less energy, absolutely. I mean, I think that's a big part of it. And what we find is kind of interesting in... Uh, customers when they actually go and buy a solar system 
is that they tend to go out and watch the meter more, right? The meter will actually turn backwards physically. It turns backwards when you're producing more electricity. So now they're more conscious of it. Not only, you know, before it was like, well, the lights may be all the way on the other side of the room. Maybe I won't go turn it off, you know. It'll be okay. It's only 60 watts. But now they're like, wow, I spent $20,000. This would be pretty stupid to not go shut off the light, wouldn't it? So we find more that people save actually more money by cutting the usage maybe than they do necessarily than what the solar produced. So there's a lot of different reasons to have solar. You know, you can do it just to save the polar bears, and that's your only reason. It doesn't matter what it costs. My daddy gave me a trust fund, and I'm here to save polar bears. And there's those type of customers. Uh, there's the guys who it, it has to make pure monetary sense. I don't care. You know, my accountant's going to look at this and tell me if it makes sense. Those kind of people. And then there's the kind of people who just kind of want more of an independence of it. So there's kind of a broad spectrum. But conservation is definitely key. I mean, everybody thinks off-grid is, is so cool. But it really, you, you're, you're, it's a total lifestyle change. I mean, you don't leave. There's no transformers on anything. I mean, any, any of those, even those stupid little LED lights on your cell phone charger. Like, everybody laughs at that. Like, it's, you know, they talk about it now. But really, when you're in an off-grid situation and watts are really starting to count, you've got to turn all that stuff up. So, yes, if people take it to the extreme that you're talking about and cut their usage by half or more, then, then that does make more sense. But what if they do both? Is that a better situation? I, I, think, I, I think using that, I mean, I, the idea of saying that, you know, all the stuff that's out there on the grid is damn nasty especially in my neighborhood, whatever neighborhood your neighborhood is. I, I think here in Montana we're actually pretty good, but I'm not, I'm not entirely sure about that. But, you know, I, almost everything that's out there that's currently on the grid is, like, causing some serious problems. And, and so it's like I, I think it's totally valid for somebody to say, I don't care if it costs ten times more. I'm getting out of that. But I also agree with you about um, the, the net metering. And, and it's like that's way better than batteries. Um, and so, because, yeah, the, the batteries bring in a whole environmental wonkiness that it's like, boy, let's, let's not. You, yeah. you, you traded one environmental problem for another environmental problem. Yeah. Hell, just the solar panels themselves are have a bit of an environmental impact oh, and on the their own. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's not. That there was a lot of energy that went in to be able to produce energy from the sun. And then they have like a half-life, don't they? Uh, they're actually pretty good. The warranties on them and stuff now, where they're out to about 20, 30 years, really. They're, they're degrading only about 5 to 15%. To oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, so that's, that's something that really has come a long way, mm -hmm. and, and that's one of the, the better uh, innovations. But I think... Uh, Hydro and wind are also, you know, a pretty good way to do it. And micro hydro, micro hydro, which is a huge which, improvement. Yeah, like that's a thousand times hydro better than than dammed based hydro. Right, right, right. So the micro hydro. I mean, there's lots of different ways of doing that, and there's ways of doing it without any kind of dam or without any kind of um, uh, significant impact on the environment that we're aware of at this time. Yeah. But but the big dams, uh, even even some of the little dams are are currently getting a big silt buildup behind them, and uh, it's turning out that to dredge those is probably going to be more than the 
value of electricity that's being retrieved. Yeah. My biggest issue with most of the solar that you see out there now is how inefficiently it's actually put up. Right? You gotta, it, it should be self-facing. You can't have any shading, really. But the biggest one people don't ever think about is the heat. And you go out and you see all this solar panel it's straight to a shingle roof. And I've done it. A lot of it's aesthetic reasons. People want solar, but they want it to look attractive, too. Well, the neighbors have it mounted flat to the roof, too. Well, when you get into this time of the year and you've got 93 degrees outside, your efficiency just tanks. There's great sunlight, but it's just you're hardly producing any because of the heat. It actually won't produce nearly as much wattage. So that's a big reason. That's a big thing about solar, too, that I see to really make sense. It has to be a good site and it has to be installed correctly. Correctly, and those sort of things taken into account. I mean, degrees really do matter when you're talking about efficiency for solar. So uh, on the roof is not as good as uh, standalone. At this point, honestly, is my personal feeling after doing quite a few of them, and, and then the other guy that I work with, he's been doing solar since solar panels came out, doing it for the uh, for the Coast Guard originally, and put it on top of a pole in your yard, and and a tracker system's even better. You know, why go up on the roof? You, you sacrifice so much to do it. Uh, I think really pole top is, is the way to go. But I see, I mean, you'll go in, even in Missoula here, you know, drive around by the university area, there is tons of solar out there that sits in shade for, you know, <laughs> yeah. six hours in sunlight. In fact, there's one that, that I remember in particular here that's just outside of town that you drive along it, and it's straight west facing, and it's complete pine trees around it. If the thing gets <laughs> maybe an hour of sunlight, I'll be blown away. And it's just like, wow, that was... <laughs> but you know what? They really wanted solar. <laughs> and they so got in that it. case, in that case, I think that's where the more solar type farms come in into play. Where it's like, hey, I want solar, but I really have a terrible spot for it. Right. But hey, this guy's got 20 acres over here. He's not doing anything with. What can I buy a share of your property and put my solar there? Basically, so I think that's something that you'll see come out more and more. I think that's a more efficient way to do it. Personally, so you're saying wind and micro hydro better than solar. Not necessarily. It, okay. it depends on the situation, you know, and it depends on what people want to do. But this one over the hill here that I was telling you about that's pretty close to our property here, we have a 3.3 uh, uh, kW uh, tracker system on a pole and a wind generator. And yesterday they logged it at, what did I say, it was 38 it was 50-something. It was 50-something. Anyways, it was an incredible amount of electricity. That, I mean, this is leaps and bounds over what the guy's going to potentially use. Yeah. He's got a ground source heat pump, but he's just like, you know what? I'm retired. I have money. Like, what else am I going to do? Go buy a new car or whatever? You know, he's like, this is cool. My oh. tractor moves in the backyard and catches, you know, sunlight, and my wind generator spins when it's windy. Like, <laughs> what? this is cool. You know what's awesome? It's the power of my neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> Solar. And you know what? He literally made <laughs> more, more power, power to him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean. Power by 11 in the morning of what the two of us use for a year. He made in one morning well, by 11 in, in the a, morning. In a day. No, what we would use in a day. It's not oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. What we would use in a day, basically, he uses by, he's created by 11 a.m. <laughs> hey, you know, I, you know and cool. if your neighbor's kind of grumpy, you know what? Hey, it doesn't matter. I'm still generating your electricity, man. Yeah. You know, <laughs> be grumpy as you want. What a cool place to put your money. You yeah. Know, really. If yeah. you got it. Well, 
it's got a it's got a cool factor to it too. Right. All right. Anything else we want to talk about today? No, that was a lot of off topic too. Who cares? But that was good. <laughs> Who cares? Those those people, those fancy podcasts, they have like lists of things they're going to cover and stuff like that. I just turn the damn thing on and talk, and somehow people seem to still be interested in downloading it. So. Uh, and they don't uh, get venison steak and apple pie. That was a damn fine meal. Yeah. All right. Good. Thanks for coming. Come back. We again. sure appreciate it. I, I, I will come back. Yeah. All right. Because I like good food. Mm-hmm.